following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Welcome to The Leftovers, brought to you by the Underdog Sports Network, with Josh Dunn, Anshu Khanna, and Dan Bauer. Welcome to The Leftovers on January 21st. I am Dan Bauer, joined again by Anshu Khanna. We missed you uh, the past week. Thanks for coming back. Hey, likewise. Missed you too, buddy. Long time yeah. to see. <laughs> very, very, it's been very, very long. Uh, definitely was not just like a week ago. But, um, <laughs> but let's get right into it. A lot of good football today. Let's start with Pats and Jags, a game that you know we got right in predicting in that the whole world basically assumed that the Pats would come out with a victory, but it was a little bit tough to get there. So uh, what was your take on uh, the Patriots game? Yeah, I mean, you're right. It was honestly watching that game. I felt like the Jaguars were in complete control. I don't know if that's how you felt or if that's how the world felt. I was basically on social media today mostly. But I mean, I felt like the Jaguars defense was in complete control. And beyond that, Blake Bortles really tore up that Matt Patricia defense, which I thought was, I mean, kind of stunning. And, you know, given the lack of really receiving talent on that that Jaguars team and, you know, Blake Bortles being there. It's just, it was stunning to me the way that they were able to carve up the Pats defense. And, you know, it has to give a little bit of pause to Detroit Lions fans, given that Patricia's bound for Motown. And it's, it's just one of those things that you don't necessarily want to see. I know they only scored 20 points, but it felt like they moved the ball pretty much at ease. I don't know if that's what you took away from that, but that was the stunning thing. I know the Patriots won, but it, it almost felt like it was like, like a sigh of relief for them, you know, when the game ended. I, I just felt like Jacksonville outplayed New England, and uh, I think that bodes well for them in the future. Yeah, what I thought it was interesting is going back and looking at Leonard Fournette's stat line, 24 carries for 76 yards, mm-hmm. but it felt like he had a lot more. Mm-hmm. You know, he it, it felt, you know, he had a long of 14, but it felt like he had a couple big runs there, especially towards the end, that, almost iced this thing, mm-hmm. uh, but obviously did not in the end. You know, to me, it felt like this was the, you know, you were just waiting for the inevitable Brady-Belichick comeback. I mean, I agree yeah. that it felt like Jacksonville was in control, but it was, you know, it's that monster lurking in the closet at all times that you're always turning around, you know, when's it coming, when's it coming, when's yeah. it coming. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it, it, you know, I don't think it was – here's the thing. Like, I don't think it was Jacksonville's best – performance either like you look at the way the offense has played against Pittsburgh last week and obviously scoring you know upwards of 45 points I feel like you know they, they could have hung more points on the Patriots and and I you know it was yeah Fournette had a pretty good day it wasn't like a vintage Fournette day which I know as a rookie it's a tough phrase to utilize but you know I, I just it felt like they could have done more on the scoreboard given how they performed on the field and, and I, I look at Bortles, like I look at the way that that team played. I know that there's going to be a lot made of, you know, maybe they bring Eli, bring Eli Manning into the Tom Coughlin fold next year, or, you know, maybe they draft the quarterback and maybe, maybe they sign somebody, maybe, you know, Kirk Cousins is the last piece, maybe some, someone along those lines. I, I think that 
you know, they were very close. I mean, the reality is they go into New England. They control that game. They're up by multiple possessions in the fourth quarter in in Massachusetts. And, you know, who, who knows? Maybe, you know, Brady and Belichick aren't back. Maybe Le'Veon Bell's not back on Pittsburgh. And Jacksonville goes into next year as a legitimate odds-on favorite. I mean, that, that you got to think about the Jaguars as a legitimate contender in the AFC for the next, you know, four or five years with or without Bortles, which, and I, I go back to Bortles, and I think that this team with or without him is a very interesting, you know, factor in the AFC picture over the next few years. I, it, just looking at this final four, it's one of those, like, wow, this is a changing of the guard type years to me. I mean, do you think there's any chance that Bortles isn't there long term? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think no matter what happened this game, and again, I think that he played very well today. I think he showed well in these playoffs. Obviously, he didn't get Blacko thing done where he runs off, reels off, you know, a couple wins and gets a Super Bowl win and cements his legacy and is able to, like, notch a long-term contract based on a top first-round pick type, you know, baseline. I think that this is a guy and a team that, you know, they, they, they're looking at Fournette, like you said. They're looking at an unbelievable defense led by those corners with Bouye and, you know, Ramsey and, and a great secondary, good front. I mean, I think that the Jaguars are looking at, at you know, they're, they're looking at Bortles and saying, hey, if we if we can plug in like an Alex Smith or like even an average to above, above average quarterback, you know, we're looking at a team that can definitely win, a, if not one AFC title, multiple AFC titles in the next few years. I don't want them taking Alex Smith. We the Browns still need <laughs> hey. Alex Smith probably. Or, or I was gonna cousins, say, so. I feel like cousins cousins could be a thing for you guys. Yeah, we'll have to save that for a different show because that's a much longer yeah, conversation. Sure. So, uh, when we go to the next game, Vikings Eagles, a game that obviously was nowhere near as close as Patriots Jags. Uh, credit to the Eagles, I I got this one wrong. I will fully admit that I predicted that the Vikings would go come in with a win and they would hit the under, and the Nick Foles just has the absolute game of his life oh, instead. Um, you know, his his finals, at, at one point, uh, with just a couple minutes ticked off in the fourth quarter, he had a perfect QB rating, um, you know, throws for three touchdowns. Uh, just an absolute game of his life. Yeah, I mean, I, look, a couple years ago, he's in Philly with Chip Kelly, and they are rattling off, you know, one of the most randomly awesome seasons in history, in the NFL history, especially in the last decade. And I mean, you know, I, I like it's awesome for Foles. And I know we're going to, I assume we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but like Foles, the way that you got to give Doug Peterson and Foles so much credit to build this, this kind of game plan against what was just an absolute dominant defense over the last few weeks and, you know, really over the course of the whole season in the Vikings. I know they were playing at home, and that made a massive difference. I mean, you can just tell, like, I know this last week everyone was playing that big play over and over again, the Minnesota Miracle or whatever, like, on repeat. But, you know, you're playing in Philly. It's a big difference. And, you know, they, they showed out, and Foles and Peterson had an absolutely awesome game plan against a very, very good Viking secondary specifically. And they just they killed him, man. Like, they dominated a defense that did not – like, even Aaron Rodgers has trouble with this defense, with Xavier Rhodes and those guys. And uh, to do what Nick Foles and Alshon Jeffrey and these guys did is extremely impressive. Yeah, Nick Foles ended up 26 for 33, 352 Unreal. yards. Unreal. Yeah, I mentioned the, mentioned the three TDs and ended at 
passer rating. You know, the on the on the running side of the ball, uh, you know, they spread the ball out pretty well. Jay Ajayi with 18 carries, 73 yards, uh, and LeGarrette Blunt with six and 21. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the TD down short. Uh, receiving wise, he hit. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven different receivers. Um, you know, so spread the ball out, and like you said, just a perfect game plan against this Minnesota D. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you've talked about DeFilippo a lot, and you know, they've got obviously Peterson, and then that's not even DeFilippo's a quarterback coach. They've got the offensive coordinator too, and Schwartz, and you know, the way the Eagles are built right now, you have to give them a ton of credit, the coaching specifically, because. I know Wentz, you know, I, I'm a big Carson Wentz guy. I think most people watch Carson Wentz and say, like, look, this guy's got it. And I don't think anyone has any misgivings about what Nick Foles is. Like, he's had some good games in the NFL. He's potentially, like, an average starter in the NFL overall. But you got to give the quarterback and, the, I mean, really the coaching staff so much credit for putting the quarterback in the position, an average quarterback in the position of having an absolutely excellent game against an awesome defense that was really rolling on all cylinders. So just an awesome job. And, I mean, I, I would, I'm stunned that, you know, more of the, these guys haven't been poached from this Eagles staff. I don't know if you feel that way, especially as a, as a fan of a team that's been looking at offensive coaching. Uh, changes like I mean I'm I'm kind of stunned that those guys haven't gotten a shot in, in a, at a team like Cleveland. Yeah, it is a little odd. You know, I would say it's partly just because they're still in the playoffs and no one wants to announce anything official yet. Hmm. But you know, even with some of these guys that have, uh, you know, guys like Pat Shermer um, who were still in the playoffs, you know, the rumors were there. It's hey, the offer is essentially there and they just can't make it official yet. Right, so, but the Eagles guys. Um, yeah, aren't, it, it is very. The odd. Eagles guys aren't allegedly tied to any opening. So, you know, that's that's the thing that surprises me. I mean, look, they're probably going to lose to New England. It is what it is. But, like, the fact that they've done what they've done, I think a lot of teams would look back and be like, you know, maybe we should have waited because this is this is a hell of a shelling for them. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I don't disagree with you. I think it's very odd. It's very curious. You know, if you can turn a guy like Nick Foles into a <laughs> Super Bowl-playing quarterback, and you know, at least as of today, Super Bowl-caliber quarterback, you know, they could work wonders with somebody like the Browns. No doubt. Sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, spe- yeah, speaking of those quarterbacks, you know, I think it's time we throw uh, – get to our microwave segment. You know, obviously, speaking of Nick Foles, um, and even on some extent to Case Keaton, Case Keenum, if you're the Eagles and you're the Vikings, what do you do next year when you have your primary starting quarterbacks back and assuming they're healthy um, and you have guys who got you pretty far um, sitting right on the bench? You know, do you keep them? Do you trade them? Uh, what do you do? So I'm going to throw 90 seconds on the microwave. Why don't you, why don't you this up? All right. Well, those I think those are two very different situations in part because the Eagles won. So, like, you know, if Nick Foles goes, goes into the neutral site into Minneapolis, somehow knocks off this Patriots juggernaut with two weeks for the Patriots coaching staff, vaunted coaching staff to game plan for him. I think you got to look at Nick Foles as, look, you're never benching once. You could, you traded a ton to get up there and get him. But I think you, you really realistically start shopping him and you can probably expect a first rounder for Nick Foles. If that's what happens. I mean, I, I hate to be, I'm the ultimate like sample size guy, but this is, this is absurd at this point if he does what he does again against New England after what he did against the Vikings, which are a better defense, really. Um, 
in, on a neutral site. Now, switching over to the Vikings, I mean, you got Bridgewater, who was the quarterback of the future, and then Sam Bradford, who, you know, set accuracy records last year. I mean, to me, I think Case Keenum probably did more than either of those guys. I think you got to open that up. I honestly don't know the contract situation there with those three guys. I assume they're all around next year. I think you got to open it up to the three and just see what you've got. I don't think that Case Keenum has earned, like, you have you, you don't owe Case Keenum anything. If anything, I think you go in giving Bridgewater, and I'm a Teddy Bridgewater guy, but I think you give Bridgewater the benefit of the doubt, and then you see kind of, like, who wins it out between those other two. I know, you know, they liked what Bradford was looking like, but, you know, to me, you know, I, I think you open it up, and, and Keenum probably wins that job, but I, I kind of default sort of towards Bridgewater. I don't know what your thoughts are on all that, but that's kind of where I'm leaning as of now at least. I I would agree with you on the Nick Bowles things. I think you have to flip them. In terms of the Vikings situation, I just honestly don't know how you go into camp with those three names and have an open competition. I feel like you got to just make a call, mm. uh, you know, before even training camp starts, you know, even sometime around OTAs, uh, just naming your starting quarterback. You know, guys like Bridgewater, Bradford, uh, they don't want to go in for a, a quarterback competition. I think it's going to leave some bad tastes in people's mouths, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you, especially you're losing your jobs over injuries. So I can't imagine. I think it's smart to open it up to a competition mm-hmm. while it might, while it might be kind of the right, maybe football move. Cause we don't know who the best quarterback is from a, you know, just state of the locker room, state of these guys' psyches. I have a hard time just opening that up to just a blanket open competition. Yeah, it's tough. And I actually think Bradford might be a free agent, but I agree with what you're saying. Like, it's it's a really tricky concept to manage in the locker room. But, you know, Mike Zimmer did that this year. I mean, week to week, he was basically like, we're not sure about Case Keenum. We, you know, Brid Teddy's back. We, we might start him. We Bradford could be back, you know. And he, he kind of played that game. And it actually, you know, maximized Keenum's talents throughout. But although at the end, he kind of peaked. And so maybe it was – I don't know. I, I – Really don't know. I think that either way, the Vikings are well positioned to win the NFC North again next year, assuming Aaron Rodgers is, you know, not at a thousand percent. And, and, you know, either way, I think they'll probably be the favorites in Vegas um, in the division. And either way, like, you know, I, I, I think Keenum or Bridgewater, you're okay. As a Packer fan, I've seen a decent amount of both. I think that the way Keenum looked late in this year was dangerous. Like he, that guy balled out late in the year. I mean, he did not pull it off today. It is what it is, but, you know, I, I've seen a lot of Teddy Bridgewater, and I like, I really, really liked him out of Louisville, but I'll tell you that he does not bring to the table what Case Keenum brought for the Vikings, and I thought that, to your point, Keenum really captured the locker room, which is a huge deal. Yeah, and, you know, speaking of guys who are going to have to make some coaching decisions next year, a uh, couple head coaching announcements to update you all on. Uh Former Patriot Mike Vrabel gets the Titans head coaching job. Pat Shermer, the former, OC. former Texans D coordinator. That's what he was last. Yeah. Well, yeah, played, played, played for, for the Patriots, Patriots right? Yeah. Um, and Pat Shermer uh, now with the Jack, with the Vikings out of it, expected to be named the Giants head coach. So. Uh, any thoughts on those two filling those open jobs? Um, well, yeah, I mean, a ton. First of all, Pat Schirmer is an interesting one because generally what happens when you hire a coach, one coach, and then fire him is you go the complete opposite direction. 
the Giants did not do that. They basically hired like a clone of Ben McAdoo, which is what they did last time, the Packers' former offensive coordinator. They then go and hire the Vikings' offensive coordinator, a veteran guy similar to Ben McAdoo, uh, and they go with Pat Shermer, who has done done a great job. And to his credit, you know, basically built up this Case Keenum thing and Sam Bradford for a while. And as soon as they fired North Turner, they they promoted Pat Schirmer, and he's done a really phenomenal job over the last year and a half with that Vikings offense. But, you know, I just – I'm a little bit surprised that they went in that direction. I thought they might go somewhere else. I might they thought they I thought they might go younger. You know, there was a lot of McDaniels talk out there. There was a lot of Patricia talk out there. Um, I probably would have preferred either of those two. I, I don't know what Patricia would have done, but Schirmer's – I'm not sure. I mean, Schirmer's a former Browns guy too, isn't he? A former Browns staffer? If I'm not mistaken, former Brown, former Browns head coach who uh, actually he only got, if my memory serves me right, we've had so many, <laughs> so, so many quarterbacks uh, is he only got, he got one year. He got yanked. Uh, I believe we went like six and 10 or something and he got yanked okay. uh, yeah. and, and just like a very raw deal. Like it was absurd. Like you can't just give somebody a year. He might've got two, but it was definitely no more than two. The Mike Patton plan. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or the uh, speaking of also Browns quarterbacks who've had a raw deal, yeah. Mike Pettin getting Johnny Manziel shoved down the yeah. stairs and then fired. <laughs> yeah, or uh, uh, Chudzinski is the other one. I love the Chud, but anyways, um, that was one. And then uh, who is the oh Vrabel? Okay, so Vrabel. The Vrabel thing is super interesting to me because you know I'm a Mariota guy, and I think that I really thought they were going young offensive coach there for sure because. Uh, first of all, I was surprised that they fired Malarkey after a year, but you know to go and hire the D coordinator, which I, I'm not saying that Vrabel's a bad coach. By all accounts, this was a really advanced hire. This is a good move for them, but it sounds like they're they're looking at the uh, co-offensive coordinator at Ohio State as their potential offensive coordinator and game planner. And you know when you have a young defensive coordinator as your head coach. I mean, you're basically handing the reins of the offense over to whoever you hire as the OC, which is a big deal. I mean, you are hiring the majority of the franchise really over to that guy. And I, I mean, I just I think it's a big risk. Um, I like Vrabel. I I'm I'm leery of hiring a guy without having a really defined plan in place for a super talented quarterback like Mariota. So um, we'll see what he does i mean i'm excited about it i think it's going to be one of the big interesting question marks of next year's season and the next two years really but um you know especially with like an unknown offensive coordinator i think that this could be either a disaster or an absolute smash so we'll we'll see what happens i'm 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 not sure and i think that part of this depends too on what the browns do at offensive coordinator because those are two big positions right now that are open and uh and are big question marks uh in the nfl circles yeah, on a similar note to that, I would agree. I think it's weird that you're not going a more established offensive coordinator, mm-hmm. a guy with some some QB coaching experience to go along with Mike Vrabel in Tennessee. You know, whether it's Ben McAdoo or yeah. or Todd Haley. Mm-hmm. You know, Todd Haley just interviewed for the the Browns head or offensive co- coordinator job um, the other day. So you know, it, it is interesting that one of those bigger name OCs isn't getting looked at for that Tennessee. So from your perspective, I was talking to our, our good friend today, who's also a Browns fan. And he was saying that, you know, it sounds like Hugh Jackson is interviewing offensive coordinators, 
that may or may not be calling plays for him. So, I mean, McAdoo's name's been out there a while. If I'm Ben McAdoo, I basically know that they don't want me at this point, you know, because, like, they had hired me at this point. I know it's, like, due diligence or whatever, but it's kind of like, you know, it's a bad look. So, you know, I, I is there a guy, and do you think whoever they hire under the head coach who has been an established play caller in this league and Hugh Jackson – do you think that they potentially go and, you know, what route are they going to go? Is it Haley? Is it McAdoo? Is it someone younger who will just kind of augment whatever Hugh Jackson does? Or w- what direction do you expect the Browns to go for that? So I heard a, like, kind of conspiracy theory the other day on, uh, I forget, one of the Cleveland sports radio shows when I was driving around, um, who, which basically said the only way that this makes sense that they keep bringing in all these different coordinators and they keep walking out without a job is that Hugh Jackson is just doing it to do it yeah. and at the end he's going to say you know like oh, I didn't really find anyone who gelled so like I'm just going to keep calling plays next year like <laughs> which I it's the only way that kind of it, it's crazy but it's the only thing that makes sense of why you'd have all these guys keep coming in for jobs who are very qualified uh, who have established track records, and none of them are walking out. Right. I mean, so the the McAdoo thing is particularly fascinating to me because the Packers are looking for an offensive coordinator, or were. Um, and Philbin, Joe Philbin, has basically, but not officially, been hired as their offensive coordinator. So, you know, he's not calling plays in an offense where McCarthy's the head coach and Rodgers is the quarterback. But, you know, if you're McAdoo, you're probably going like McAdoo wanted to call plays like that's a big deal for an offensive coach that's jumping ship for to any team and if you know if you're not calling plays you're definitely more likely to go to a team like the Packers with Rodgers let's just call it what it is than a team like the Browns where if you're not calling plays right like you're much more likely to be attributed with the success of Rodgers than you are to be attributed with whatever moderate success like a Kaiser or whoever else has. So, you know, these coordinators, basically like a guy like McAdoo is not taking the Packers job because he's expecting to call plays for the Browns or like a team like the Browns or like, you know, you know, the Titans or whoever it is. And I think that that's the ultimate catch 22 because Hugh Jackson's in a place where he could potentially get a really solid established offensive mind, but he might have to give up play calling duties. And to your point, maybe you know, he doesn't want to give them up and the coordinators want to definitely have the play call. Like Todd Haley's probably not going to a team where he's not calling plays, which is like, I don't know. I think it's like the whole, it's, it's like such a, it's such an interesting kind of chess match amongst these teams and these coaching candidates. Yeah. It'll be real interesting to see where the kind of dominoes fall on all this uh, of where people start going. Kind of like you said, between the Tennessee job, the Cleveland job, uh, the Green Bay job, you know, Arizona. It, it'll be very, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see, you know, when these dominoes will actually start to fall and who's going where and when. Yeah, um, absolutely. So we're getting, yeah, so we're getting pretty close to the end of the show here. Uh, probably time to do our oh by the ways. You know, my oh by the way is that the Brewers made an offer to you, Darvish. Could be a very huge addition for them. Uh, you know, they were finished six games behind the Cubs last year in the NL Central, uh, you know, adding you Darvish, you know, doesn't get you to those six wins, but, you know, probably, uh, you know, add another three or four mm-hmm. on there in, in war. Um, and so, Subtract you know, that, the Jake Arrieta wins too from the Cubs. Think about that. 
Also, yeah, also true. So that you know, at least in in a strict nerd nerd sense, uh, the Brewers are the favorite in the NL Central uh, if they add, if they add you, Darvish. So uh, keep an eye on that. We'll see if he if he actually goes there, but it could be a very nice landing spot for him. I I love that. I think it'd be really interesting. I don't see it happening because I think Darvish ultimately ends up in a bigger market, whether it's Chicago or LA or New York. But you know, it'd be awesome if he ended up in Milwaukee because I. I think he neatly fits that team's ex- expedited landing point because they are they were supposed to be like two years away and they they arrived quickly and like super early. So um, adding him to what they have with Nelson and you know a lot of that that staff and those hitters, I mean, they're a very very interesting team. So I would love to see Darvish end up in Milwaukee, and then you think about what the Cardinals have done on this offseason, too. I mean, I think those three teams become... Uh, I think it'd be a, a really fun battle between those three teams in the 2018 season. Yeah, the, the addition of Azuna for the Cardinals, you have you know three teams very packed at the top, especially with the Pirates just doing the sell-off between McCutcheon and Garrett Cole. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Reds are going to be garbage again, so <laughs> you're going to have those... You're, you're going to have the Cubs, Brewers, and Cardinals just absolutely battling um it'll be a very fun division race to watch that's for sure for sure i I agree you have any you have any oh by the ways for us before we let our listeners go on their monday no i mean i just you know there's nothing better than conference title day and i know like the last few years i've unfortunately been on the losing end of a couple of those and so my heart goes out to you know the vikings fans i know their arrival that's a tough one though and uh, especially coming off of last week's unbelievable miracle win. And uh, uh, and then obviously the Jaguars fans, specifically to Jacksonville, like for the few of you that are out there that are <laughs> Jaguars fans, like there are definitely brighter days ahead. That These are the worst losses, but also like, you know, chin up because this is generally the springboard towards my much better things. So with Brady kind of sunsetting out of his career and the Belichick era kind of sunsetting, I think that – you know, the Jaguars in a really good spot. Vikings are going to be great. And, uh, you know, I, I just chin up. It's a tough place to be to come this close and lose. But, um, you know, it's it's fun to get here and it'll get better. Well, that was a very positive way to end, to end this show. Also, um, screw the Vikings, li- by the way. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Uh, now we're back. Uh, now we're back. <laughs> Yeah, well, you had to get your one last Packers jab in for the uh, for the. I had to deal with a lot of school chants last night, so you have to bear with me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Anju, thanks for joining us today. Um, Welcome back to the US of A, and uh, hopefully, married life is treating you well. Thanks, bud. Um, (laughs) To all of our listeners out there, have a great week. Thank you again for for listening, for downloading, subscribing, rating and all those awesome things that you do for us. Uh, We very much appreciate it. Have a good Monday.